I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. Now, our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Hey, hey, Mackie Wetmore hanging out here at Target Field, actually, and uh, dissecting and digesting the Major League Baseball draft from earlier this week. And just sort of, I, I feel like I was fighting with people on Twitter for a good 48 hours after oh, it happened. You feel like that? And Yes. I, well, it was, I've never felt so engaged with the Major League sure. Baseball draft before. I remember watching the Ben Revere draft mostly for deep fantasy baseball purposes sure. because like the, the number one overall pick would always be one of the deep keepers. So we just watched. And I feel like the amount of passion and engagement among Twins fans is great, but it yeah, felt it cool. so misguided when people were accusing them of being cheap after... It was cool <laughs> to see people involved, and, and I'll share my thoughts on this in a second, but I also, in not in their defense, because I, I was also... I felt like I was kind of beating people back with broomsticks, but but you also, just your sort of your personality as, as a sports commentator, you're also kind of going in there looking for some fights. I, I, bring, I bring gasoline to, <laughs> to a flamethrower fight. That's definitely true. Sure. Well, it was, it was, I never thought that Blaine Enlow would provide vindication <laughs> the next day. Right. Blaine Enlow, the high school pitcher they drafted in the third round, and they wind up, they wind up going way over slot, paying him. I, and this is all reported, and I don't know how much of this is finalized, but... Doogie had the number at $2 million, which is over a million dollars more than you would ordinarily get there. Okay, let's, let's, instead of going way deep in the weeds on that, I want to say a few definitive things about why they drafted Royce Lewis and just what I and we think of their process. In, and, and again, I haven't seen any of these players play. So be mindful that the baseball draft is a crapshoot, yeah, and sure. it's hard to have really strong opinions on players that you haven't seen play and players that... Most of them won't be big leaguers, mm-hmm. uh, one through 40 uh, rounds. And most of them, if they are big leaguers, it'll take multiple years. Number okay. one, the Twins are not cheap, at least okay. in regards to this draft. Okay, A lot of people saw the initial tweets and the initial info about Royce Lewis instead of Hunter Green or Royce Lewis instead of Brendan McKay or, or whatever the reports were, and less money. Oh, well... They're trying to negotiate with an inferior player for less money was the narrative, and so therefore they must be cheap. Therefore, Carl, uh, Carl, Jim Polad must be hovering over the speakerphone with a checkbook ready to you know strike out any digits that he doesn't want mm-hmm. or ready to slap Derek Falvey upside the back of the head for spending too much money. No, the Twins actually, and I haven't gone through to, to validate this, but I'm fairly certain they wound up spending $14 million in the first 10 rounds spending more money than any other team. The Twins are the opposite of cheap in this particular draft because they spent more money overall than any other team in baseball. By rule, they are allowed to spend more money, Yes, but they Correct. then took full advantage of that. They didn't scale it back and say, well, we could have spent 14 4 but we're going to spend 6 because we'd like to pocket 8. Yes. Um, they wound up with Royce Lewis for a multitude of reasons. And I'm going to give you just some. I've been digging on this for a few days, and I know you've got you've been talking to people at Target Field. So just to pull back the curtain a little bit, from what I have been told, they had four players at the top of their draft board that they liked equally. I don't know exactly who those four players are. I'm guessing Royce Lewis was one of them for sure. 
Um, we heard reports that they also had been in negotiations with Brendan McKay and his representatives. I'm assuming Hunter Green was one of the, the four. And then I think Kyle Wright was probably the other one. It would make sense. But I, but I, so I don't know exactly who the four players were. But they were in discussions with four different players who they would have been fine with any of those four. They had them all sort of, it's a crapshoot. So I'm making these numbers up. But the Twins looked at four players and said, all right, well, we think player A has a 60% chance to be a star. We think player B has a 56% chance to be a star. And uh, the other two guys are kind of like 50-50 shots. All right. Well, there's, it, it wasn't like the NFL draft where Andrew Luck was the top quarterback and the second guy was, I think it was RG3 actually, but, mm-hmm. so, but yep. maybe so that's a bad example because RG3 sure. was high up on boards too. It wasn't like there was a 90% guy up here as player A and then coin flips for, for B, C, and D. Yeah. The Twins thought they'd be comfortable with any of these four players, and so why not go in knowing that the slot value is $7.7 million for that top pick? Why not negotiate with all four and see who's willing to sign for six and a half? Mm-hmm. Who, anybody want to sign for seven? Who opens Change your you, life. Who opens the door for you to sign a Blaine Enloe? And my guess is Blaine Enloe is not the only Blaine Enloe, if that makes sense. There might be five or six. It's a pretty unique name. I don't, I don't. Yeah, he probably is the only Blaine <laughs> with a Y. Um, now, if it was Blaine with an I, there might be another Blaine Enlo, but the Y really differentiates. Yeah, well, you'd be talking Blaine Boyer at that point. I'm not sure you save <laughs> slot money to sign Blaine Boyer. I'll, but I'll people, us- people thought that Jim Polad was pocketing the difference. Right, that's not true. The twins are cheap. So what, are he- they going to take that money and wipe their you know billionaire asses with it? No, so, it's going to a high school player later. Just wait. Yeah, my thought is that Blaine Enlo might not be the only guy who was potentially not going to get drafted by other teams because, hey, if I don't get $2 million, I'm going to college. Other teams might say, okay, well, gosh, our third-round pick, our, our second-round pick even, the guy who we have on the board in the second round wants first-round money. We can't afford that with our draft board. It just wouldn't make any sense. So we're going to pass on him, get somebody who we think we can get in here, and have fun at LSU or wherever you're going to college. I'm sure it's a great school. All right, well, but the Twins are in a little bit different situation. They can say, okay, with our first overall pick, I'm just following along with your logic here, Phil. First overall pick, if he'll sign for $4 million, which he won't, but if he will, now we've got all this extra money. We could go get multiple Blaine Enlows or whoever these guys we think are great, but we can't, uh, you know, that won't sign a professional contract because they prefer to go to college unless they get this number. Yeah. We are one of the only teams in Major League Baseball that can afford to give them that number now. And the more that top pick comes down, the more likely you are to get it. Yeah. I, I have a follow-up point on that, but I want you to finish your sort of sure. your well, spiel here. Sure. Well, I, baseball caps the amount of money the last five years that you can spend in a draft. So you have to, it's almost it's a little bit like a fantasy football or baseball auction in yeah. some ways. Yeah, you ever done one that's not a snake draft where you are bidding on players? You throw a guy out? Yes. And I, I'll throw him out. Uh a high-value guy so that someone else way overbids on them early and they run out of money. So it's not a true auction, but it's it's weird because it's a snake draft with capped (laughs) numbers for what you can... Technically, it's not a snake draft. It's just a, you know, it's a... The Twins don't get to pick twice in a row. (laughs) But um, because Major League Baseball caps what you're able to spend in a draft, you have to be strategic sometimes. 
And because high school players have leverage to go to college, to go play in the SEC or the Big 12, they have full rides. on the, Some of these pitchers have full rides on the table at Texas. Yeah, and then go get at, drafted in the first or second round in three years. Yeah, you wait a couple of years. So if... And, and this is the logic behind if you've got four players all equal on your board at the top or really close together and one of them is willing to sign for number one overall uh, status for maybe $1.2 million less or whatever the number winds up being for, for Royce Lewis, you don't pocket that money. You mm-hmm. take that money like they did in the third round. And then the slot numbers go down so that it starts off at seven point seven million, then to seven million, to seven point two million. Then by the time you get out of the first round, it's under two million dollars. And I'd have, I don't have a sheet in front of me, but uh, by the time it got to Blaine Enlow's draft area, I think the slot money was around seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. So assuming that conversations are taking place between teams and agents throughout the entire process, maybe even before the draft. Representatives, representatives. High schools, High school and college yes, players advisors. can't have agents. <laughs> advisors. That's the greatest thing ever that we have to change what we call them. Like, yes, parents, whatever it may be. Yeah. I would assume, and I'm not reporting this, I would, I would assume that Blaine Enloe's representatives mm-hmm. or dad or whoever is doing the discussing for Blaine Enloe said, you know what? If the draft gets to the point where my client or my friend, <laughs> my friend. <laughs> my friend is uh, is not going to get a one point five or two million dollar signing bonus, don't bother drafting him because yeah. I'm, it'll be a waste. Gonna, draft he's it. not going to sign, mm-hmm. and he's going to go play at floor. I can't remember where he committed, but some some top school. Well, here's the twins sitting in that same area with extra money to spend that other teams don't have unless they've been saving compared to the slot values they had 1.2 million dollars or 1.5 million dollars left over from the royce lewis pick and they were able to turn a seven hundred fifty thousand dollars slot number which blaine enlow probably would have said sounds crazy to turn down almost a million dollars but if he goes to school and pitches well for a few years he might be the number three overall pick and make six million dollars the twins were able to say okay Let's take that $750,000, let's pay you like the 25th overall pick instead of the 71st overall pick, and see if that changes your mind. Hmm. And it did. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to get him in your system at age 18 instead of having to wait three years and maybe have somebody else draft him, and then that player slips away. Yeah, this is my follow-up It's point. a smart play. Yeah, I think they, uh, it's a creative strategy. Uh, they keep using the word creative, and I think that, you know, not to... I mean, that's patting yourself on the back a little bit. We don't do that too Did much the around here. Call in it creative? They said they've they've thought about ways to employ some creative strategies okay. to get the best draft portfolio. They didn't come out and say what we did is really creative. No, they said that like more creative than the previous general manager. Would have. <laughs> We're so creative. Um, please laud us for our creativity. No, they didn't. They didn't really do that. Um, but I'll agree. I think that it is. And what I wanted to say, what I wanted to follow up with, is that. We're recording this podcast on a – what day is it? It's a uh, it's Thursday. Thursday today. After, and, yeah, after the Mariners game. And we don't have the numbers yet. What I wrote on Thursday is that I'll be very curious. You saw Jim Callis of MLB named the Twins the top draft. He said that they had the best draft. Which is a ridiculous exercise. Of course but, it is. Yeah. But it, it – it flies the Seattle in the face. Seahawks received a C plus the year they drafted oh. Russell Wilson by ESPN.com. Exactly. It flies in the face, though, <laughs> at least to, just to make a point that people who thought they passed on Hunter Green and it was I had people saying that it is the most regrettable mistake in franchise history. And like, 
okay, we don't know that. And maybe Hunter Green becomes a star and Royce Lewis is a bust, in which case we'll look back at this and be like, huh, yeah, well, I guess I should have gone the other way. Mm -hmm. But right now we can't say definitively one way or the other. What I'm curious to see, once we have the signing bonus numbers, which I don't have yet, what does Royce Lewis sign for with the Twins? What does Brendan McKay get from the Rays? And this is the tricky part. This will probably never come out because if I'm the Twins, I don't want you to know, both out of fairness to McKay and just self, like your own credibility's preservation, I, I wouldn't want people to know this. What did they offer Brendan McKay? Because I think people heard the report, was it Baseball America that was reporting it or MLB.com? Somebody on draft day said, well, McKay turned down an offer from the Twins, so they're drafting Royce Lewis. And I think people heard that and thought, oh, well, they offered McKay. They must you know, have had him number one on yeah, their board. Exactly. Let's, let's just make so up numbers. So they're settling for a, a player that they didn't have number one. Thus, twins are cheap. I'll Jim make up Polad numbers. Is, yeah. Let's just say uh, in people's mind, they hear that and they think, well, it's a money-saving deal. So maybe they offered McKay $7 million and he said no, so they're going to go get Royce Lewis for six point. Eight, whatever. 6.5 to 6.9, whatever. Yeah. We're, and we're, maybe people know this by the time that this podcast hits the wire, but um, I'm very curious to see. I'd be very, very curious to know what that difference is because what if, let me throw this out there as a possibility, what if it was not entirely the other way around, but what if they said, hey, we like, we like Royce Lewis a lot and we like Brendan McKay a lot and maybe we like Hunter Green a lot too and we like Kyle Wright. Mm-hmm. Well, if those were the four guys and you went to, say, uh, uh, Brendan McKay, you, maybe you separated out to these top two guys. It's between McKay and it's between Lewis. And we like Lewis better. I'm just making this up. But let's say, hypothetically, we like Lewis better. But if we could get McKay for a million dollars less, yes. that would allow us two Blaine Enlows <laughs> from earlier. We could get two guys, a guy in the third round and in the fifth round that we think are really Top-end talent. It's a portfolio. Exactly right. And we can't afford this stock if we overspent on a stock earlier. So, Or a, or a restaurant menu item and you have you have $100 to spend. Somebody Listen, got mad I, at me when I used that analogy on Twitter. <laughs> it's my favorite one of the week. I've got 100 bucks to spend at, at a steakhouse. And I really want steak. I, I'd like the, to have a steak. But I really like pork chops, too. They're both great. And the steak is twice as much as the pork chop. But if I get the pork chop, I could also get the Cajun hash browns. This exactly is not right. a J.D. Hoyt's endorsement. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, we're treading very dangerously towards endorsement territory. Um, but So I see the, the path you're going on. Yeah. No, that's the end of the path. I'm and here. I've arrived. I, so as, I, and I'm, I, as I've heard it behind the scenes, what they did was they went to the four players. Again, I heard four players. Maybe it was five, but I heard four. And they kind of flipped around the negotiation a little bit. And instead of the players saying, what's your best offer? The Twins kind of said, hey, we're, I don't know if they told all four players that, hey, we're comfortable with any of these four guys. Yeah. Yeah. But they kind of went to the four parties, which is standard. This is not just the, tw- the Astros did this with Carlos Correa in the 2012. Did it last year, I think. Yeah. I want to say. What's your best offer? Mm-hmm. Meaning, how low will you go? That's right. Will you? If, so I don't know if Royce Lewis wound up being the lowest. I, we don't know exactly how it played out. Um, another reason, just for the record, that they really liked Royce Lewis, and this came across very evidently in the 20 to 30-minute conference call. Yeah. You and I were both on the conference mm-hmm. call. They love his leadership, his maturity. They think he's a really genuinely good guy, high character, 
things that can become kind of cliche, those intangible, immeasurable things. You're not gonna you're not gonna see it on the field at shortstop necessarily in his physical attributes, but they love his leadership. I thought he came across as a just a savvy veteran. He sounded like Derek Jeter at age 35 on the phone, even though he was talking about eating cake and drinking like root beer for his celebration yeah, yeah. because he's not 21 yet. They didn't feel the same way about Hunter Green. Hmm. They thought, in terms of some of those above-the-head leadership things, they really liked Royce Lewis in that regard. And even though Hunter Green throws 100 miles an hour, um, he didn't strike them quite as well in those categories as, as Royce Lewis. Not to mention the, the built-in risk of you draft a pitcher who throws 100 miles an hour. You draft a pitcher in general, mm-hmm. college or high school, good mechanics or not, there's much more of an injury risk that could yeah. derail that pitcher's value going forward. Tommy John surgery much more of a career-altering or shoulder issues situation than, you know, like if you sprain your ankle mm-hmm. at shortstop. So things to consider. And so money factored in, but not overall money in terms of being cheap. Sure. Money, strategic money, how to balance your portfolio, spend a little less here to spend a little more over here. Those are the reasons why Royce Lewis is going to wear a Twins uniform at some point. I've got a point on Blaine Enloe, but first I want to ask you while we're talking about Royce Lewis, because I feel like the draft kind of became the not Hunter Green show when really, and what I tried to reflect in my five thoughts column after the draft was like, no, hang on, this is the Royce Lewis show. Like, this is his huge day. Not that, you know, I need to cater to that or we should, as Twins observers, kowtow to the guy who just got drafted number one overall. But when Byron Buxton was drafted, it wasn't, man, the boy, it would have been great if the Twins could have got Correa and then maybe had some money left over. Like, there wasn't this, like, bitter disappointment in the way that the draft unfolded. It was, whoa, Byron Buckett, oh, this would be so great. This is yeah. going to be so awesome. It's going to be so fun. I feel like that feeling sort of got robbed from Twins fans. You know, so so let me ask you a question before I make my point on Blaine Enloe is, do you uh, personally, Phil, believe in Royce Lewis? Do you think he's going to be a good player? I do. I really do. I don't know if he's going to stick at shortstop. Because, sure. And that's just me going off of what smarter people who have scouted him are saying. Yeah. But Well, that's all we can do at this point. Yeah. But most high school position players who are drafted that high are shortstops. Right. You're not drafting a right fielder from high school. Well, and before a shortstop, <laughs> he played center field. And like, yeah. If, you are, if you're the second best outfielder on your high school team, you ain't a number one overall pick. Yeah. So I... I do think he's going to pan out. I'm glad you brought up the Byron Buxton-Carlos Correa draft, and not that the Twins have identically copied what the Astros did and it's going to pan out the same way, but it's a very similar thought process, and I like the thought process. Carlos Correa was also not regarded as the number one overall prospect or pick in 2012. He was actually sixth on Baseball America's rankings in 2012. Byron Buxton was number one. The Twins, who picked number two, paid Byron Buxton... I think a million and a half more dollars than Carlos Correa got as the number one overall pick. So the Astros clearly went to all the different camps, wound up on Carlos Correa, who said, hey, you want to pay me like the number two or number three overall pick, and I get number one overall pick status? I make four or five million dollars? Life-changing money either way? Yes, I'm in, totally in. Mm -hmm. The Astros took that million and a half difference that they saved by being cheap Mm -hmm. with the number one overall pick, and they lured Lance McCullers, high school stud pitcher, at number 41. They prevented him with that million and a half on top of the slot value. So he wound up making like maybe two and a half or three million at that spot instead of 1.7. And he doesn't go to college. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's now 
the first or second best pitcher in that rotation, a team that's 25 games over 500. Carlos Correa is one of the best players overall in baseball. Yeah, that's looking like a good pick. So they they hit on both players and they they landed both players specifically because they saved money with the number one overall pick. Hmm. So again, it's all a lottery, but can you give yourself a 15 to 20 percent better chance to to land a stud player by just practicing better process? And it seems like they did. So we we went super deep in the weeds on this episode yeah. with players that none of us have seen play, but we're just yeah. sort of evaluating their thought process and the way they go about strategizing. And I like it. Yeah, I like it a lot. And here's another reason why I like it, and then we can maybe get out of here for the day and go enjoy some of this weather. Um, although... You might be listening during a rainstorm this right. weekend or something. <laughs> yeah, I was so gonna sorry say, about that. I was going to say, <laughs> if you like the weather here in Minnesota, <laughs> hang around for a couple minutes like Chicago. Uh, not quite that bad. So um, Blaine Enlow, um, to bring this full circle, was rated by Baseball America as having the best curveball. And MLB.com had this up, too. I think I saw a Jim Callis piece on it. Best curveball in the draft. And that's something that Derek Falvey said. We really like his breaking ball. And when we talked with scouting director Sean Johnson after the second day of picks, he talked about this idea. I don't know if you, you heard these. I don't, I don't know if anyone wrote about this. I've kind of been stuck in my own little world here for a couple of days. But that Johnson said, and this is important, to Hunter Green, I think, as well. He wasn't talking about Hunter Green. Of course, he's a player for another team that's not really above board to be hacking on other other teams' prospects now after he just passed on drafting them. Uh, but he said that one thing about Blaine Enlow that we liked so much is that he's a high schooler with a really good curveball. He might have the best curveball in the draft class, and that's interesting. That's important. It was important to the Twins because he said curveballs are innate. You can make curveballs a little bit better. You can teach guys about spin rate and grips and things like that and, and when to throw them for a strike versus when to drop the hammer. And You can, you can help it's improve curveballs. It's such a feel pitch, though. But guys who have a great curveball, the best curveballs that you've seen, the, he said the Burt Blylevin, the Josh Beckett. It's like free throw shooting in basketball. You can improve your free throw shooting. But if you're starting off as a 45% free throw shooter, sure. you, ain't, you ain't getting to 90. Good luck. I don't yeah. care how many free you're throws not you take. Be Steve Nash. Yeah. yeah good but luck. if you start off at 85% in college, and maybe you can get up to 90, 95%. Right. Yeah. He says curveballs are innate. The guys that you've seen with the best curveballs, they were born with them. Now, we asked, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, that's just an old scouting adage. Yeah. And I wouldn't want someone who threw curveballs when they were like four years old because yeah. I feel like the tendon damage would be For irreversible. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Like toddler age UCLs. <laughs> you get in there, and if you can see a clean one, you feel really that good. That was Kerry Wood. He was throwing breaking balls yeah. as a three year old. Yeah. Mark Breyer, too, apparently. <laughs> um, that's So that was an interesting thing to me, not only as it pertains to Blaine Enlow because they love this curveball. They know they're not going to be able to teach a guy a similar curveball, but maybe you can work with that repertoire, build it up, build up his pitchability, his command, his control, things like that. And now, well, you've got a nice little package here. I'm not saying Blaine Enlow is going to be an ace, but maybe he is. And then we'll play this podcast for posterity's sake and say, see, I'll trim out the part where I said I don't know that he's going to be an ace because we'll just use that. But how does that relate to Hunter Green? You saw some reports this past week about how, well, Hunter Green doesn't have a fully developed curveball. And some people say, of course he doesn't have a developed curveball. He's throwing 102 miles an hour in high school, and he didn't pitch most of his senior season. Of course he doesn't have. It'll come. It'll come with time. But what Johnson said about 
Enlow, I wonder if that roundabout applies to Hunter Green. Oh, you're a high school pitcher with a big fastball? Great. How's your secondary stuff? Oh, you don't have a curveball that people trust? That's interesting to me because the twins feel that they can't teach a curveball. They feel like nobody can teach a curveball. It's not a shortcoming on them. It's just curveballs can't be taught, according to their new scouting director. Now, I do think Hunter Green just throws hard enough that eventually he'll probably have a great slider and, like, his floor might be major league closer. I yeah. don't know. It's he'll, possible. He'll probably, if, he, if he stays healthy, he'll Hunter probably Green's be a valuable player. Probably going to be a good big league player. And, in fact, I'd go as far as to say he could be a star. Jim Hoey threw 100 miles an hour, too. That's Kyle true. Farnsworth threw 100 miles an hour. Yeah. Just because you throw 100 miles an hour, if you don't have something else to offset it, Major League hitters will hit 100-mile-an-hour yeah. fastballs and will hit them a lot and, and hard. And I'm not trying to crap on Hunter Green. This isn't the he-won't-make-it parade. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to go that far down that other end. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to say I think Royce Lewis is going to be a really good player, and I can see why the Twins would have him above Hunter Green on their board, why they ultimately went to him. It's not, it's not that shocking to me. And then I felt like I was really fighting uh, – a battle on Twitter and on Facebook on draft night for saying, hey, hang on. I kind of like this player that the Twins just got. He might not have been at the top of experts' projection boards, but it reminded me a lot of the Anthony Barr draft when you and I were sitting in the studio and people were so mad that the Vikings, quote-unquote, reached for a linebacker who wasn't at the top of draft boards when he had a bad season last year, so it didn't fit perfectly. But... Anthony Barr, at least for a little while there, was on a superstar track, and people were upset that the Vikings reached for him at number nine. I sort of had that same feeling recur on this draft with people being not happy about getting a talented, speedy shortstop who the Twins will think can stick at the position and grow into power. Instead of being excited about that, they were upset that they missed on a guy who they think is going to be a star. And, mm-hmm. and if it was a Bryce Harper situation and the Twins passed on it just to be creative in the draft, I'd feel very differently about it. I would, it. too. I'd rip it wouldn't, them. It wouldn't be creative, then. You passed mm-hmm. on Steven Strasburg to try to go get Blaine Enloe? Mm-hmm. Come on. But I don't think that there was a Steven Strasburg in this draft, and that's what a lot of the people that I talked to said, that there wasn't this unanimous number one. And if that's the case, then I'm fine with the strategy. And I, I think Royce Lewis will be a good player. I sense a lot of potential Blaine Enloe, Chuck Norris jokes throughout the next few years. Blaine Enloe doesn't sleep. He waits. All right. All right. 